Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Todd Runstead, another edition of the Toddcast. I am here today with a special reprise encore uh, podcast with Chris Killam. Chris Killam, known in the trade as the medicine hunter. Chris travels the world over and really digs in with indigenous cultures, discovers herbal remedies. Chris, welcome back to the Toddcast. You staying well in this pandemonium? Well, thank you, Todd. And yeah, you know, uh, I am staying well. My wife and I are. We've uh, we live in Western Massachusetts, which has uh, among the highest compliance of uh, PPE use in the entire country. So even though there have been cases in the counties, uh, you know, in the county in which we live and around us, um, overall uh, it's been very very low. So we're fortunate, and being out in the country means that, you know, unlike many people who are locked in uh, apartments or things at this point in time, we get to walk in nature. So I, I feel pretty good about it overall. Yeah. Good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. yeah you know, stay outside. Even I, it'll be interesting to see what happens once uh, once the winter season comes. Uh, you know, I, I always look at it as not so much the cold and flu season as the vitamin D deficiency season. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sure, sure. You know, so uh, you know, good luck to all of us here. But it's good good to hear that you're uh, you're you're on the up and up. So you know, we're here today. Let's talk about the power of plants. You know, have we as animals just kind of co-evolved under this fair sun with the plant kingdom in some symbiotic relationship? You know, after all, animals breathe in oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide, while plants plants sort of breathe in, if you will, CO two and exhale oxygen as if by design is there some well, well i mean you know design's a funny thing because some people take that up as proof that there's some you know fat bearded guy in heaven who's you know creating creating things in in his own mysterious cosmic laboratory but i do think that design is uh critical and intrinsic to the relationship between people and plants i mean you know there is there is an intelligence that is thorough and complete that exists all through nature and i mean for example you're never going to get up in the morning and look out on your front lawn and all of a sudden your grass is purple and square it's never going to happen there is in fact intelligent expression of form and concentration of actives and different principles in plants and, you know, we have co-evolved with them. It's not just that we drink, uh, I mean, not just that we breathe their oxygen, it's that we eat them. You know, they are the primary staple foods of the human diet. We consume their juices. We build homes out of them. We wear their fibers. We adorn, uh, you know, our living places and ourselves with them. We distill their essences and we utilize them as medicines. And um, there is absolutely no question that both from an, an, an anatomical standpoint, as well as a physiological standpoint, we share functions. And there are tons and tons of vascular plants. 
uh, through which juices of all different kinds with different nutrient concentrations flow just the way our circulatory system does through our body, you know, delivering nutrition to all parts of us. And the same antioxidants that are beneficial to protecting our cells are essential to protect the cells of plants that otherwise would decompose too early due to exposure to like heat, light, air, moisture, and time. So we could not, in fact, have a more symbiotic relationship with anything else as much as we have with plants. All right. Uh, we are just diving into the deep end of the pool. Chris, I already have a big smile on my face. Uh, Why wouldn't I, we? Why wouldn't we? Why screw around? This is COVID-19, man. People are dying <laughs> out there. Let's get real. Oh, so, you know, one of the things that you just talked about was the medicinal aspect of plants. And, you know, from what I understand, it's not exactly like people <clears throat> have gone around sampling everything that grows and through some relentless trial and error discover, ah, this plant is good for this human health condition. Not exactly. I hear, and I'd love to get your take on this because you're really in the field, that the medicine men or the shamans, they actually instead listen to the plant intelligence, communicate with them their healing properties. What do you think about that? Is, is, it, is it let's just go and eat everything and discover after thousands and hundreds of thousands of you know, of samplings and they figure it out? Or is there some sort of deeper communication going on? Well, I think it's kind of an all of the above uh, thing, actually, Todd. I mean, if you take the Amazon rainforest as an example, and I've been there, you know, over 30 times over the past 23 years investigating, you know, like 15 different river rivers and, and tribal groups and shamans of all stripes. And um, it's very clear that most of the plant knowledge is in fact multi-generational. So most of the people out there, great healers or not so great healers, you know, they all learned from their grandmother um, and they went out picking in the forest or their grandfather, but the women are, are, are big torch bearers of plant medicine around the world. And so I think that actually the conveyance of medicine over time is a huge factor, but it is also the case that people who are, you know, um, deeply involved with plants, uh, certainly shamans, healers of different types, also do uh, claim and seem to demonstrate an intelligent communicative relationship with plants. I mean, uh, and, and I think that this is something that in our culture, we try very hard to re-express, well, what they mean by that, it's metaphorically, no, it's, there's no metaphor. It's not what they mean by that. What they mean by that is what they say. They actually get communication from plants. And, you know, this may fly in the face of what we know and understand and what we're educated about, but I have experienced this with, um, you know, shamans in many different places who, either derive some extra knowledge from a plant about its use or use a plant as a um, actually a means to gather information about circumstances of different types. So um, I think that the, you know, the relationship that we have with plants is as broad as the human, uh, you know, the human species is, and you know, from no relationship at all to real communication with the plants themselves. 
that almost sounds a little bit like you might be speaking of some ayahuasca type psychedelic experiences when you're communicating on some deep level to find out some answers to your own psychology, if you will. Well, you know, um, you have, I mean, many people, for example, in, in North America and South America have traditionally relied on tobacco to divine information, uh, peyote, San Pedro, ayahuasca, the mushrooms, especially in the mushroom cults in Southern Mexico. Um, so yes, the, the, uh, the psychoactive plants, the, what we often refer to as the hallucinogens or the psychedelics, um, definitely play a role in divination. I mean, it, it is not uncommon for a traditional healer when presented with a very sick patient whose whose disease may be hard to figure out, will get into the company of that person and take ayahuasca or or some other psychoactive plant themselves and use that as a tool to divine what's going on with the patient. So yeah, that's that's a, a very spot on observation. But but I've also experienced. I mean, one of my first experiences. Uh, with a woman who really seemed to have the plant spirit connection was uh, I, I was traveling around in the Brazilian Amazon meeting different shamans. And this one woman named Edna said, oh, let me do a reading for you. I'll be right back. And, and uh, she was in the middle of a lonely, remote place in the middle of absolute nowhere, no neighbors around. She didn't know who I was, nothing. We'd just shown up. And uh, we'd heard about her. And she found a a little plant in her backyard, uh, a very common plant called Vasurinia. And it's really small. It's maybe four or five inches tall from the tips of the roots to the top of the leaves. And she sat me down and she started touching me with this plant. And then she told me about a very specific circumstance in my business that the, she could not possibly have known about. And I said, how do you know this, Edna? And she said, oh, I don't know it. The plant knows it. See <laughs> the roots you have to have the roots or it doesn't work so the plant sends the information here she said pointing to her heart and then it goes here she said pointing to her head and that's how i know now you understand and i was like oh yeah okay it's all clear to me now <laughs> and that's not a psychoactive plant it's a plant that specifically a lot of these curanderos, a lot of these healers, especially these women will use, you know, they'll touch you about the head and shoulders and then they'll tell you stuff about yourself, you know, and they didn't get any advanced intel. They didn't look at your Facebook page, nothing like that. You know, they just they tune in. So that's a whole other thing, you know, non-psychoactive plants that also are portals or, or gateways, if you will, to greater knowledge. Well, and isn't there, isn't, isn't there like in, in the botanicals business uh, of a term of that, like the law of similars or something, you know, like, like the ginseng root kind of looks like the brain. And so, ah, that's, that's for the brain. Well, the, uh, yeah. And that's another, that's kind of another concept, but, but a good one, you know, you look at plants, for example, that have a lot of, um, let's say they may have uh, deep green roots. Okay you can assume that there are some uh, bitter principles in there just by looking at that that may be beneficial for the liver and, and often you'll be right or in the case of uh, some of the rare ginseng roots they actually look like a torso with arms and legs and and therefore ginseng is sometimes called man root and 
and it's associated you know not only with energy and stamina and endurance and longevity and mental clarity but also sexual health as well so yes certainly um many plants do express something visual that provides uh, a clue to their use and not always so well and is that kind of like like pharmaceutical discovery like do some researchers go into the forest with some analytical tools and like put a leaf into a solution and get a reading and like, Ooh, this may contain alkaloids. Let's grab a sample. I mean, is that another way? That is a way, a way that has largely been marginally or poorly successful. There was a big project in the nineties between Merck pharmaceuticals and uh, a group in, in Costa Rica. And they basically uh, called in bio and they set up a, uh, high throughput screening program to screen thousands and thousands of rainforest plants looking for bioactives. And after they blew about 50 million bucks, they gave up and they packed up their shit and they went home. Okay. Um, because they didn't do the one and only thing that surely will deliver you to the medicines. They didn't go talk with the traditional healers. They said, no, 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 no. Look, we got we got this, you know, we got super sensitive, you know, HPLC and, you know, all of the other gadgets and, and we got our labs and we got our funding and we got our PhD scientists and, you know, uh, really they had no idea. And so it was not successful and it didn't yield results and it was the biggest program of its kind. You know, the, the, the more sure path, as you go around to villages and you talk with people and somebody says, see that plant over there? You break open those big fat leaves, especially in the spring, and there's this milky sap and it'll get rid of, you know, whatever tumors on your face. Okay. And you go, huh. And then you test that and you go, whoa, you know, there's something here that is uh, anti-tumorigenic or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of discovery that happens like that, but it does not happen from dragging a bunch of analytical equipment into the jungle and then chucking plants at it. That, that just does not work. Right, right. Yeah, you know, go go, go into any situation, you know, the, the luck favors the well-prepared man, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, and so maybe they were just uh, shooting, shooting in the dark, really. It sounds like maybe they... You know, they could have thrown some millions your way and you could have taken them on a nice little tour of some of these indigenous areas. You know, know, Daniel Mormon, uh, who uh, is one of the the great botanists out there, did a book on Native American uh, ethnobotany. It's it's the largest work on uh, North American, Native American herbology in the world. He spent 30 years doing this book. And he went around from tribe to tribe and from healer to healer all over the place and for example, he found hundreds of tribal uses for yarrow. He'd find certain tribes would use a plant for particular purposes, but other tribes would use the same plant for entirely different purposes. And what you'll find often is that if you uh, you know look at many of the, let's say again in the Amazon, if you look at many of the hundreds of the most popular remedies, there's broad and diverse uses for them. So I think, you know, like there was one company, for example, that found uh, quite a number of years ago now um, that um, 
you know, uh, cat's claw, Ankaria tomentosa could modify DNA. And this was a very significant finding. Uh, that was not something that was previously known. Now, what they'll exactly do with that remains to be seen. But I think a lot of the uh, new discoveries that have taken place over the past couple of decades have been with plants that are already somewhat or well-known and used. Yeah, well, and that's interesting how you say that, you know, certain uh, tribes or cultures will use maybe the same plant in different ways. It kind of reminds me of, of acai, uh, you know, which made a name for itself a couple of decades ago, and it's still out there used in really frozen smoothie packs. That's where I kind of see it most touted for its antioxidant power and used uh, from what I understand in the Amazon for relaxation, but in America for energy, which was curious, no? Well, I, I, you know, I, I had the good fortune to uh, study acai a number of times in Brazil. And, and basically, you know, it's a food there. I mean, it's like you would go out and get a smoothie someplace. You know, it's a food there. People, you go to the market, you get a bowl. And I, I never heard of or, or saw it being used for relaxation, but it's a, it's a super favorite food, you know? It's like apple pie there. I mean, people want it. First time I ever had it. Some tribal women made it for me, and I just went nuts. I, I couldn't believe how good this stuff was. But um, but nonetheless, you know, I, I think uh, the the uh, the Brazilians, for example, you know, have the greatest number of of acai trees of any group in the Amazon, uh, just growing wild. Um, you know, for them, this is a, a a common food that they really love. Um, but here, you know, uh, for a lot of athletes, it's considered a high performance sports food. And that's definitely a new application. Yeah. So uh, let's continue on this sort of fruity sort of path. When, when I think of plants used for their fruits, you know, you've got cranberries, which are kind of unique because we use both the fruit for the juice, as well as for the health properties for like UTIs. But right. then there's, you know, you got your orange juice and your apple juice that are just straight up juices, mangoes. What else is out there? You know, like maki, that was supposed to be the next great super fruit. Is that gonna come to <coughs> fruition? Well, you know, maki berry, uh, which I had the good fortune to investigate in, in Patagonia, Chile, um, you know, it's great stuff. It's super concentrated in the anthocyanins, you know, the purple pigments that are of great value and that also occur in acai and cranberry. Um, and, you know, it, it uh, is harvested uh, mostly by the Mapuche natives there, which in interestingly is a more matriarchal uh, tribal culture. Very nice people. Um, I think, though, that the infrastructure for delivering maki overall is a bit on the poor side. I mean, you really have one primarily company that can sort of make concentrate down there and they're doing lots and lots of other fruits as well. And, and the demand, um, nobody's really pushed it enough. Uh, it looked like some of the big extraction companies were gonna put some big science behind it. And at this point in time, I don't think they have, but. I would say that in that instance, the infrastructure, 
not only needs to be beefed up a little bit, but also uh, there needs to be some strong science leader, you know, some large company, an Indina, a NatureX, or somebody, a Madaus, you know, a Schwaba, who that puts some real muscle behind this to boost its fortunes. Otherwise, I don't see Maki Berry particularly coming on strong. It's been out there for years and years now. Yeah, I mean, isn't it isn't it like a, a sort of like acai, like a dark purple fruit? You know, I, I kind of always look at, you know, the, the, the darker the, the plant, the healthier it is, you know, it's like. A yes, yeah, it's dark like elderberry, you know, it's purple, it's delicious, it'll stain any shirt you wear, you know, it's great stuff. It's really great stuff. Um, I mean, there are no barriers, you know, people like the flavor. It, it's just a wonderful thing. But, uh, you know, there's enormous competition in the purple berry market. And uh, I remember uh, back in the early Kava days, you know, this uh, a Wall Street Journal reporter says, what does it take to make an herb popular? And I looked at her and I said, it takes you. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, if, uh, if an herb gets advocacy out there, you know, because it's really pushed by companies and it's taken up by the media, it'll gain a popular spot in the market and otherwise it won't. And I think that Maki has just never really had that day and I'm not sure that it will. It, it might be easier to pronounce for people than acai. You know, people, people still get that wrong. Acai, yeah. you know. Acai. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 that's just the way it is. It's kind of funny with that. Yeah, Merca. Right. Uh, you know, so when I think of plants that have captured the imagination of the Western world, you know, America in particular, I, I think, you know, over the last couple of decades, I think of echinacea, ginkgo, St. John's wort, of course, ephedra, turmeric. Right. Recently, recently, we have elderberry for immunity. So what would you like to think should be next? Well, I, I kind of have in mind four things, actually, Todd. Um, one, I think that Shazandra berry, which uh, is not a berry that you would eat with yogurt and granola, but is without question the most profoundly beneficial medicinal berry on earth with uh, over 2,000 years of traditional use in, in traditional Chinese medicine and, and pan-Asian use. Um, I think Shazandra berry really, really needs its day. Um, it's uh, it's considered one of the great longevity botanicals. Um, there are human studies showing many, many different types of enhanced performance, athletic performance, mental performance, uh, enhanced physical strength and speed, uh, great cognitive benefits, sexual benefits. Uh, detoxifying benefits for the liver. This is this is really one of the greatest botanicals on earth. I I did uh, have the good fortune to um, you know extensively uh, research that in in China and I was um, you know I was really kind of blown away by it although interestingly enough the greatest um, uh, cultivation of Shazandra at least organic Shazandra is in the western part of Massachusetts. Really? Yeah, yeah. There's the largest organic Shazandra berry farm in the world is about uh, eh, five miles from my house. Wow. Yeah, a Chinese man uh, is one of the early adopters of organic agriculture and distribution of, of organic vegetables here in, in, you know, going back to the early 70s. And um, 
he has this extraordinary Shazandra farm. You know, one of the things I saw in um, in China that I did not like so much was that uh, many of the places that I went to in China um, where Shazanda was growing, you know, did not have clean air, were near industrial areas. Um, so I thought that overall, overall, in terms of purity, that wasn't so great. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you know, I, I didn't favor that at all. But in terms of what Shazandra is, uh, well, you know, it's just kind of extraordinary. It should be as popular as rhodiola, and it's even easier because it's an annual crop. And so rhodiola, that's an adaptogen. Isn't Shazandra considered an adaptogen too? I mean, and- Yes, and it is. Yes, so, it I mean, is. is this a class of compounds to kind of meet this post-modern American moment adaptogens? I mean, it seems like the whole class, like I, I think probably ashwagandha's is the king of the of the adaptogens at this point. But as you say, rhodiola, I, I remember one time you said uh, 400 milligrams of rhodiola will make you feel like a billion bucks. I love right. that line. Right. And so, right. And so maybe Shazandra should should be uh, right up there with those other ones, huh? Yes. And, and you know, look, I think that uh, rhodiola rosea and um, ashwagandha, withania somnifera, and shazandra berry, you know, shazandra shinensis are on absolutely equal footing in terms of their benefits. Um, they're all a little different, but they are all adaptogens. Um, you know, if I were looking for an antidepressant, I'd probably favor rhodiola. If I were considering uh, more of a relaxing feeling, I might, I might, I would almost certainly choose ashwagandha. Um, you know, uh, if in other respects, I mean, if I were going to consume something every day, uh, you know, as many people do with shazandra, shazandra would be an obvious choice. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't actually think that one is really superior over the other. I think the great advantage is that they all enhance energy. They all enhance. Uh, endurance. They all enhance stamina. Um, And, you know, in terms of uh, improved mental clarity and uh, overall immune defense and cardio protection and hepato protection, the adaptogens in general are real superstars. And these are the kinds of medicinal plants that we should lean on uh, somewhat, you know, somewhat intensively as we go through this horrific time in history with coronavirus. Right, right. So I, I just want to clarify, because you, you rattled off a couple of things. Let's just say, let's just make this personal. Here I am, a middle-aged guy. I'm in good health. I'm in good spirits. Uh, you know, I probably don't have as much energy as I used to have. Which adaptogen should I be taking, doctor? <laughs> well, my, my answer to that is yes. And, and, what I, and I don't mean to be flippant, but I would say, you know, in a way, with the adaptogens, it's kind of like discovering your favorite apple. Some people just go, hey, I'm a Granny Smith eater. I like them tart and green, okay? And others go, well, I'm a Royal Gala, Gala apple. I like them striped and sweet, okay? Um, you may find, for example, that Shazandra berry is more of a mental sharpener for you than the others. Or you may find that nothing makes you feel as good as ashwagandha. What, what I think is that um, 
for anybody who's middle-aged or older, any of these or all of these um, can make a real substantive contribution to overall health. It, it's not that we have to wait until we're, you know, mentally slipping or metabolism is messed up or we're fatigued or whatever. Uh, we can just regard this the way we regard fresh water and clean air and exercise and sunshine as absolute essentials in a healthy lifestyle. I, you know, when I think about um, I mean, you have great access to organic foods. We have great access to organic foods. You know, we have excellent access to a lot of these agents that we know make a contribution to overall health, regardless of specific personal health needs. So, it, you know, if, if it were up to me to, to give you recommendations, I'd say try all three or even take all three. Yeah, I like that. That's good. So speaking of numbers three, uh, I think you had said uh, you were focused, you, you were looking at four different things. And so I think we've kind of covered Shazandra. Uh, yeah, yeah. What else? What else are you thinking about? Well, I really like Jiaogulan. And, you know, it's funny about Jiaogulan. Um, it, it is almost virtually unknown in the U.S., except among, you know, some of the predictable people. I mean, Roy Upton, you know, and Stephen Foster and, and you know, some others. I mean, they know Jogulon, but basically this is also an adaptogen. It is a leaf. Um, it has previously been very popular, especially in Japan. Um, it It's an annual um, and whereas ginseng has, oh, I'm going to mess up on the exact numbers here, but um, basically it has compounds that are virtually identical to um, the ginsenicides in ginseng, the, the compounds that are especially active uh, in ginseng. But whereas ginseng has, uh, let's see if I can pull this up or so, um, yeah, 28 uh, active saponins in ginseng that are ginsenis in that are known as ginsenicides, but in Jiaogulan there are 82. Okay, uh, so in terms of being a super packed, super concentrated ginsenicide rich uh, product, this is the king of kings here, and and yet it remains you know only somewhat popular in the Asian market and not here, and and I. Uh, I think that is due to a lack of advocacy of the plant, but this is something that I would really expect could go the distance, that somebody could rally behind this the way companies have with other botanicals that weren't previously well-known and really hit a home run in the market. Yeah, and, and so so ginsenicide, so is this sort of like, like a better than ginseng kind of thing? And so you, you would use it for some of those same applications that, that you're using ginseng for? Well, you know, I think the thing is that I, I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't necessarily use it instead of ginseng. Um, but what we do know is that it increases, you know, energy, endurance, and stamina. It's great for recovery time after exertion. Uh, it's phenomenal for staving off mental and emotional stress. Um, you know, it it helps to. Uh, stabilize blood sugar, ameliorate hangovers. It's, it's hepatoprotective. This is awesome stuff. This is something that, 
you know, I think we should have so readily available to us that we could drink one or two cups of Jaugulan tea every day. That's how I would like to take it. I don't need it necessarily as a uh, an extract. Um, you know, I'd rather drink green tea than take a, a green tea extract, for example, if given the choice, although I happen to do both. But um, so I don't know. You know, I, I'm always I'm always the um, do what you can kind of school. So I'd say, no, you know, have your ginseng and drink your Jaugulan tea as well. I, I, I believe there is a future for Jaugulan. Interesting. So I'm trying to search for that. J-O-A-O-G-I-U-L-O-N-G? It would be J-I-A-O-G-U-L-A-N. And the botanical name is Gynostemma pentaphylum. Uh, it's in the cucumber family, interestingly enough, although um, it do doesn't bear any fruits. But um, this is this is great stuff. I, I have uh, researched this up near the Burmese border in uh, northern Thailand. And, um, you know, I've drunk a lot of Jaugulan and it makes you feel great. This is good stuff. The, the thing I like about the adaptogens um, is that when you take them, you feel them. You know, if, if you take echinacea, for example, you don't feel it working in your body. Nobody goes, wow, you know, my T lymphocytes are increasing right now. I can feel it. And that's crazy talk, okay? But, but, but you, you know, you take some of these adaptogens, you get up in the morning and you want to do the Tarzan yell, you know you're getting a benefit, you're getting an effect. And, and that's what I like about the entire category of the adaptogens. Yeah, so so you would you would categorize Jiao Gulong as another adaptogen in, in that oh, yeah. adaptogen. Family. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So I'm definitely I'm definitely feeling the uh, feeling the uh, the the trumpets blaring for for adaptogens as as something that's going to keep going. Uh, what else you got? Like, I, I hate to, I, I don't know what you're about to say. I know you've done some work with ashwagandha. Is, is that one of the four that you're thinking about? Or uh... well, No, I mean, I, I believe that ashwagandha, you know, is very, very well established in the market. I mean, it's what, number five in the natural chain this year, according to the, um, the herb market survey. Ashwagandha is doing great. And I think a lot of that is due to the tremendous science that's been put into it. You know, you know that I have a, a working relationship with KSM 66, and I think they've been the kind of advocacy company that takes up a botanical and really moves it forward. So, I, you know, I, I don't really regard that as much as a sort of a, a future up, up and comer as something that has really risen over the past few years. Um, but I do think that an old botanical is uh, very beautifully well positioned for a massive comeback, and that's kava. Mm. Um, you know, before uh, COVID-19, in fact, four days or so before uh, international travel was basically shut down, I returned from, you know, a, a yet another project in Vanuatu, South Pacific, where I've been investigating kava for 25 years. And... Um, what I see in terms of the maturity of the market and the testing on the part of the government and the vastly improved facilities and, and just, you know, all of it tells me that um, the circumstances are, are really right for Kava to return. I mean, it is without question 
one of the greatest anxiolytic plants in the world that is anxiety relieving. We know from studies conducted, um, you know, at, at different medical centers that uh, it works in the amygdala, in the center of anxiety in the brain. And the, uh, the very unfortunate and misleading information that came out, you know, better than uh, almost 20 years ago now about uh, kava being liver toxic, of course, turned out to be entirely untrue. So, um, you know, I, I think it's staged for a comeback because if people are anxious, it's now. <laughs> um, true, and, true that. And, and there are some, you know, there's some great companies. I mean, Gaia never stopped selling kava. Herb Farm never stopped selling kava. Um, you know, uh, NatureX never stopped making kava extract. So the kava trade has been out there for a while, but, uh, you know, it suffered terribly after the uh, bogus, quote, German, you know, parenthesis study uh, showing liver toxicity that now is, you know, substantially refuted. But uh, so I, I would put that as as an up and coming trend. I'd like to see that happen because I think it's well deserved. And I think people need anxiolytics that are not um, the dangerous, you know, pharmaceuticals, some of which can cause convulsions and death. I just I don't think those are acceptable effects from something that you take you take to feel better <laughs> right yeah so th two two things that i think about with, with kava when when it got hit with that with that liver thing i mean wasn't there wasn't there an official ban on it in certain countries like maybe oh yeah oh yeah no it it, it was such a devastating mess and it harmed in uh, native communities so badly in the pacific it, it was it, it was just horrifying I mean, I went back to Vanuatu not long after the ban started and, and the, you know, these chiefs sat down with me and then they said, what are you people telling us that kava is now bad for you? And I had to explain that I was, you know, not I was, I was on their side of the fence and that, you know, this was a bad thing that had happened and, and it was quite deliberate in its effect to ruin the kava trade and that there were specific reasons for that. Um, you know, but but this this is something that that for all the right reasons should be making a comeback now because of its benefits. Um, and, and the fourth thing I wanted to bring up is the whole category of CBD, hemp oil, you know, cannabis oil products. And I'm not talking um, psychoactive, you know, with THC. But what I think is that um, with that we're going to see expanded use of those extracts with other extracts, just, just like you would in other formulas. I mean, for the most part, if you go out and you buy a hemp oil product you, or you buy some sort of a CBD product, uh, and I'm not at all a fan of uh, you know CBD distillates or isolates. I think they're just garbage and a waste of time. But um, if they are you know, actual whole phytocannabinoid mixes, um, then you really get a good biological effect from them. I think we're going to see them with uh, curcumin. We're going to see them with elderberry. We're going to see these extracts with ashwagandha, with rhodiola. We're going to see, uh, because, because the phytocannabinoids have such a thorough whole body activity, 
for almost every organ system and for almost every function in the body, I think they'll match beautifully in formulas. And, and while we have seen some formulas, I don't think we've really seen the tip of that yet. So I would imagine that um, these cannabis-derived extracts will be much, much better integrated into a variety of formulas for sleep, stress, immunity, cardiovascular support, brain support, and on and on. Yeah, that's cool. So do you think a, a critical part of the success of these is infrastructure that that needs to be put in like you know you had you had talked about how in in kava that there was kind of an infrastructure there and then it just got hit with with those bands and i i presume the 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 bands have been lifted but but the damage had been done but there's still an opportunity to to bring it back like it it's kind of ready for a new generation but it is and with 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 cannabinoids and and the cannabis plant that infrastructure is underway um with you know, with farmers all over the country growing hemp right now, all over the world, uh, and you know, there there's still a lot of that to really the whole plant. I mean, I, I you know, I, I talk with people in the hemp business. I'm I'm on the board of the Hemp Industries Association, and and uh, you know, it, like uh, a cannabinoid medicine, if you will is just one part of the plant. And if we really want the plant to succeed, then, you know, we, we, you know, fiber, grain, cannabinoids, it's, it's really three parts of the plant. I mean, you could use the whole plant, but, you know, for, for the, for the, 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 the pig industry, you gotta, they use everything except the squeal, right? So right. wouldn't, wouldn't that be like, it would be great if, if we could use more than just the flower of, of the hemp plant or, you know, I, you know, there's certainly an infrastructure with the cannabis marijuana industry. You know, there's grow houses and warehouses all over the country now. Uh, so what, 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 talk a little bit about just infrastructure and the value of that in, in making some of these uh, herbs really pop. Well, there, look, you know, I have been very fortunate to work on the supply side of botanicals for decades. And, and, and in doing so, have gotten to go, you know, from field to finish repetitively with plants. And, and what I do see is that infrastructure and investment and advocacy make all the difference. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, botanicals are competing with every other type of consumer product on earth. You know, when you promote a product, you promote blue jeans, for example, you know, there are other people capturing the attention of the folks you want to reach because they just came out with a brand new cell phone that has a 48 megapixel camera. Nobody gives a crap about your blue jeans. I mean, so, <laughs> so the point is that in the market, um, unless something extraordinary happens, like, you know, Michelle Obama goes out and says, you know, really, everybody should be drinking Shazandra juice every morning. And then all of a sudden, it's this insane, you know, insane yeah. rush to process as much shizandra as you can get your hands on, and all the stuff that isn't shizandra that's going to be a red juice that's going to come out of you know species. Um, you have to have infrastructure. Um, you know, it, for the most part, uh, the herbal business, except with the really smaller cottage companies, who I like a lot and admire a lot. Um, these are big industrial operations. 
um, you know, processing many, many tons of botanicals at, at a time. And then with distribution uh, and sales and warehousing, you know, all over the world. Um, it's this vast, vast, vast network. And so, yeah, we need better infrastructure. I mean, right now, as far as I can see, a, a, an infrastructure logjam for maki berry coming out of Patagonia, Chile, is the fact that really you've got one juice company there, um, you know, who's been processing maki. And since they're also doing blueberries and raspberries and a bunch of other berries, you know, that's going to be a narrow, like that's like putting a lot of water through a small garden hose, okay? Mm -hmm. um, if that were to suddenly change, then, okay, there would be a different opportunity. But, but yes, I, you know, I, I mean, I was involved with the start of the kava industry and the start of the maca industry in, in both instances, my client Pure World, which is now, you know, part of uh, NatureX for a long time, um, they were the ones who really initiated those efforts and put money and science behind them. And, and you see other companies doing that with other botanicals. Uh, and, and that is what I think it takes to have real long-term successes in the market. Is that is that kind of the difference between kind of wild crafting something and it's like, okay, well, now let's produce this from like an agriculture, like let's make row crops out of this sort of, sort of stuff? Well, not necessarily, Todd. I mean, if you look at something like acai, I don't know that anybody's ever planted an acai tree. Okay, it's mm -hmm. all wild. Mm -hmm. But when you fly over vast areas of, say, Amapá, Brazil, you see tens of millions of acai trees. Mm -hmm. so people go out in the forest. They go to a stand where there's like five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred acai trees within close proximities of each other. Uh, they go up the trees and they take down the branches that would otherwise fall to the ground anyway, laden with berries. Uh, and it's this sustainable thing. They never have to grow anything. They don't have to row crop a thing. Hmm. Um, the, the, you know, you go to Morocco for the rosemary harvest, for example, you stand on top of a high mountain in the Atlas Mountains and you look 100 miles in any direction and you see these millions of green dots. Every single green dot is a rosemary, uh, rosemary bush. Hmm. So if you sent the National Guard out there to harvest rosemary, you wouldn't dent the supply and you wouldn't harm it. You're not uprooting the plant. So in, in fact, there are many crops out there that can be sustainably wild harvested and are, and, and often in such immense quantities that they satisfy vast global need. But then there are a lot of other botanicals, of course, that, that must be cultivated. So it, it's really plant specific and demand specific. At a certain point, um, the demand for, let's say, a wild plant, you have to shift over to cultivation if you can. Otherwise, you just can't supply the market or the plant goes extinct. Yeah, interesting stuff. So, Chris, I, I, we covered a lot of ground here. I really appreciate the time here. I think the four things you said uh, you'd like to focus on for the future here, Shizandra, Jiao Gulan, Kava, and let's call it cannabis. Um, cannabis in formulas, yeah. Yeah, 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 interesting stuff. Chris, keep on hunting.
we'll see you again, hopefully at some people gathering event at some point in the future. Got to be optimistic that we can safely travel and gather again. And uh, we'll, yeah, uh, we'll. Thank you, Todd. You know, I, I do think that um, we're going to see some improvement uh, by next summer. I don't think we'll be out of the woods. This is going to be a long term haul for us. But I'm also confident that we'll be back at our conferences and conventions and gatherings. And I miss that community greatly. You know, Zoom doesn't cut it. It's uh, it's really, you know, can we can we get back? in the same room and have the conversations and and you know do what we do and, and keep this very important dynamic community personal the way it always has been yep sounds great all right chris thanks again thank Buenos you Diaz. Buenos Diaz. take all care right. Man. all right you too bye thank you for listening to a healthy insider podcast We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.